One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, "What the f are you talking about? You insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 upfront for 3 months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for a limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com/weightloss. That's plushcare.com/weightloss. Hello everybody and welcome back to the podcast Headstrong. This is a podcast where I sit down with people to talk to them about things that have happened in their lives, in their careers, but importantly I want to talk to them about where they've struggled to try and help you get on a path to becoming headstrong. This series is exclusively about rugby and I still had a few more guests that I wanted to speak to after the Rugby World Cup. In this episode, I sat down with Nick to talk to him about his career with Team USA and a number of other teams spread around the world. Nick was born in New York, but has taken an interesting path into the world of rugby. So I thought it was a really interesting conversation to have with Nick. I hope you enjoy this episode and his experiences at the Rugby World Cup. Well, Nick, thank you so much for having a chat with me on this episode of Headstrong. I really appreciate you taking the time to chat to me. Where are you right now? Uh, I am in a place called Van in Brittany in France, um, finishing the season uh, as a medical joker in the Pro D2. Nice. Yeah. Did you, go, you, did you go straight there off to Japan? No, I had a whole week off in New York, so I went home and uh, spent some time with family, which is nice, saw some friends. Um, and then and then came on over to France. If you're happy with it, let's go right back to the beginning then. You were born sure. in New York, and yeah. you are an American national by birth. Yes. How, how does one get into the game of rugby in the USA? Um, I, most, most guys sort of fall into it at like a later age. Like a lot of guys, these guys from my age sort of started when they were 18, when they went to university. Um, and maybe they had played another sport in, in high school. You know, I was a football player and a wrestler, American football. Um, and then I went to college. I went to Notre Dame, which is a big football school, and was nowhere near good enough to play for their football team and kind of wanted to do something in my spare time. So, like, rugby was like a social sport. 
Uh, I was new on campus, um, and I was looking for a new group of friends. So mm -hmm. a lot of guys, just just like myself, just sort of jump into it on a whim, just to just to like you know get that sort of I don't know, like just get your yayas out when you're studying all the time. Like you want to run around in a park and throw throw a funny ball around and have some fun, meet some new people. So that, that was my motivation for starting was just uh, just to do so something physical. So you knew, so you knew what rugby was out in America. It's not like it's some sort of social taboo, or you know, it's it's not like an, an unknown sport. People do know about the sport. It's just because America uh, is so big. I, I think people have heard of the sport of rugby. They probably don't have any idea what it entails, um, sure. unless unless they're sort of in that world. I think when you go to college, like m almost every college in the U.S. university has a rugby program, mm. uh, whether it's super social or somewhat serious, like they're on every campus. So when you, when you're at uni, you know, like there are rugby guys around, you know, there's a rugby team and maybe you catch a game every now and again. So it is sort of in the, I think the, the place where it's most well known in the American cultural consciousness is like in, at the university level. Okay, sure. Um, is that a, quite a, an obvious way to look at it, your approach to it in terms of you can't get in the football team, but you still want to do something quite physical and quite demanding in terms of a team sport. So rugby is the next option. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there was that. Um, I think I, I wanted some, like, a different group of friends, a new group of friends. Yes. Um, and it, it honestly seemed like the rugby guys had a lot of fun. You know, they threw some, some legendary parties and, you know, they, they, they played some <laughs> sports. And there was, there was a bond there that I think was special that I, maybe I missed from, from high school sports. So, yeah, it was, an, it was a no-brainer for me to, to try it out at least. Did you ever have any some any kind of rivalry between the football team? Because uh, obviously one of you is wearing no. a lot of protection. And the no, other. man. Like the football team in Notre Dame is like a multi multi million dollar a year operation, mm. and we were just a bunch of idiots running around on like a you know on like not even a field, just like just out in the grass in the quad, yeah, just trying sure. to like you know like trying to get money to for a ball and for goalposts and things that like that so it was like it was a very different world you know we were just we were club athletes we were you know guys studying all sorts of different stuff just coming out twice a week to to throw a ball around and and play some 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 games on the weekend so what was that standard like then at college in terms of rugby ability and coaching and stuff well, I got lucky, I think, because when I when I went to Notre Dame, it was the first year where they were like a, a like allowed to be back on campus as a club sport. They had been like kicked off campus back in the '90s for whatever reason. Um, so we had a full time coach, this guy Sean O'Leary, who was like the U.S. Under 17s coach. Um, so he had a bit of experience, um, and it sort of got better and better each year we were there. So like by the time we were in my senior year, my fourth year at uni, uh, we were. Uh, and we were fifteenth, fifteenth in, in the country, I think, in mm. our rankings, and played played in the top division. And, and that level, I mean, it's probably nowhere near the standard of say like Bucks rugby in, in the UK, but it's it's a good standard of rugby. Most teams take it pretty seriously, I would say. Um, but yeah, I mean, it really it, it really was more about the social aspect of it, enjoying yourself, learning the sport, than it was about high performance. So it got to a point, though, in your career where you were enjoying your rugby so much and you'd, you'd, you'd had the social aspect of it, but it got to a point where maybe this was becoming a career pathway for you. So yeah. how, how did that first start? And how did you eventually manage to get out of America in terms of you know, sourcing um, you know, a line of income fundamentally? Because rugby mm. can do that for a number of people. So how was, what, was that, what was that like? 
Uh, well, so I graduated. I did. I went to grad school in California. I was playing club rugby there, and that year I sort of got this shot to play with like US the USA A team on tour, um, and I jumped at that. I played a couple games for them. I didn't play particularly well, and I, I don't think I was at like the international level at that time. But sort of off the back of that, um, about a year later, I was working in New York, and I met. Um, I was playing with an Italian guy named uh, Manny Cipriani. For we were playing for a club called New York Athletic Club, which is like an old sort of legendary men's club in the U.S. And he was like, "Nick, if you want to go play in Italy, I know a lot of people. Maybe I can help you out." Um, and I was like, "Yeah, yeah, that sounds great. You know, playing professionally is something I always wanted to do. Uh, I knew if I wanted to play for the Eagles, I'd have to probably do something out of the box because." Um, my opportunities at the time were, were really limited. So he sort of went silent on me for a couple months and then called me up one random day in May and was like, hey, Nick, this team, Lazio, wants to offer you a contract for next year. It was you know, no, nothing money. It was like 1,200 euro a month, I think, and a house and a car. And it was the opportunity to play full-time. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I absolutely want to do that. So nice. quit my job and, and moved, uh, moved overseas two months later. Wow. So that went pretty, pretty quickly, actually. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was in the back of my head as something that I thought I could do. Um, it's something that I knew if the opportunity came up that I, I would definitely jump at it. Uh, financially, it made no sense. I had a very <laughs> good job. Um, what were you doing? I studied engineering in grad school. I was working as like a design engineer. It was um, uh, my uh, master's in, was in earthquake engineering. So that was sort of what I was focused on. It was a good job. It was pretty dry. Um, a lot of computer modeling, that sort of stuff. And I don't know. L- moving to Italy, learning language, playing a bit of rugby sounded a lot more fun at 22. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And then, so how, how did your family deal with it? Did you have a girlfriend at the time as well? Because obviously moving from, you know, the East Coast of America straight over to Italy, there's a massive time difference. Well, you were, yeah. on, you were in California, you said, actually, didn't you? So, well, I did my master's in California, then I moved back to New York. So I was working oh, okay. in New York. Uh, so, but, so how, how did your family and friends take that? Obviously, supporting um, your career choice, but... Yeah, yeah. I think my, my parents were a bit shocked that they wanted me to do it. And my dad said, you know, Nick, if this was me, I, I definitely wouldn't do it. But, uh, you know, sounds like something you would do. So, good luck. And, <laughs> uh, you know, I didn't have a girlfriend at the time. I actually just broke it up with uh, sort of a long-term-ish girlfriend. Um, so the timing worked out pretty well with that. And then... Uh, yeah, I mean, I think my friends had known that, like, it's, you know, I, they knew I loved rugby and it was just this thing that I do outside of work and, and really try to, try to focus on with the spare time that I had. So when this came up, I think they all knew, like, that I wanted to do it and I was going to do it. So I mean, it was tough at first, but definitely, it was definitely an easy choice for me to make. Yeah, sure. When you, you said as well that you've played for a number of clubs and in a number mm-hmm. of leagues in your career. But yeah. you did end up over here in the UK uh, playing for the mm. Newcastle Falcons. And then you also mm. went on loan to Doncaster uh, and yeah. then actually signed for them the season after. How did you find the premiership yeah. at the time? Um, well, I mean, I jumped basically from like pretty low level of rugby in, in Italy to, you know, the Aviva premiership, which was, um, you know, a huge, huge jump in standard and professionalism. You know, it's it really no comparison. So for me, it was, it was, it was really tough to get up to that level very quickly. Um, like I, you know, it, it was, it, it like legitimized my 
my decision to go to Italy was, was getting that deal with Newcastle Falcons. Um, but it was, it was awesome. I mean, like the level was insane to me. Like I never played at such a fast or physical level and I knew I needed to like really step my game up as quickly as possible. Um, um, but it was, it was incredible experience, you know, and I didn't play much at Falcons, but it, it, it basically, you know, signing that contract got me back into the USA squad, um, and allowed me to do what I always wanted to do, which was play for the Eagles. So, you played for a number of leagues in different countries. Where have you found the rugby to be most physical and most challenging? Um, honestly, the, the championship in the UK is incredibly physical. Like I, I just think like you know, guys in the championship are just massive, and they don't try to run around you; they just run through you. So, like <laughs> every single week, it's just so physical, set piece, and like so physical around the fringes of the rock. Like you just have to. You're ready to put in big, big tackles every week. Um, it's slow. I mean, it's slow rugby, but it is incredibly physical. Well, you're a big guy yourself, so I can't imagine that would have been too challenging. Well, I, I, I think I'm pretty skinny. Oh, really? <laughs> but, uh, compared to a lot of a lot of big second rows and props out there, so okay. I don't know. I get maybe it's a mindset. I guess I've, well, I've gotten maybe. used to I've gotten used to it over the over the years. So maybe True, I am I one of those. Big, maybe big maybe what I see. I just don't maybe. want to admit it. Yeah, sure. Maybe what I see is big as well. You probably see as just average in the rugby world. Could be. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, the last couple of weeks of Pro D2, show, it's, it's pretty physical as well. It's, it's, it's fast. It's a fast, well, compared to the championship, it's, it's a fast, pretty fast standard of rugby. So yeah, we'll see how the season goes. So you received your first USA cap in 2012. What, what, was, what were those emotions like when you... Um, <clears throat> well, my first cap actually came in 2016. I guess yes. 2012, I played... Um, like uh, it was the juniors, oh, was the, the yeah. juniors, yeah. So the A side, and that was incredible, obviously. And I think at the time, well, I know at the time, I thought I was way better than I actually was. So I probably just sort of in my mind, I was like, oh, I'm going to just keep on getting caps and just play for the U.S. and it's going to be great. Um, and then after that tournament, just basically didn't get called up for another four years. Um, so to, to get back into it in 2016 after signing with Falcons. I mean, that was like a dream come true. Um, and, and I got my first cap in, I played my first game. I played against New Zealand Maori. It was my first game in, in Chicago in November 2016 on my birthday. And it was like, you know, just one of those incredible experiences. I had my whole family there. A bunch of my friends from my uni were there because Notre Dame is close to Chicago. My uni coach was there. Um, and... Yeah, I mean, it, it was. I remember just being a ball of nerves from like Wednesday, Wednesday to Sunday, and and not really being able to, to digest what was happening, and then going out there and playing against New Zealand Maori facing the Hakka, and we you know we got our asses kicked. Um, but just like I don't know, one of those those things I'll never forget. I can imagine that that's a pretty incredible experience, and having your family there on your birthday. I mean, what are the chances yeah. as well? Yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, it was pretty cool. It was very cool. I mean, my brother flew out from Boston, surprised me, and uh, it was. It was. I mean, you know, everything. No, actually, I don't necessarily believe that everything happens for a reason, but it happened that way, and I'm I'm incredibly grateful that I got my first cap when I did because you know I was ready for it. Uh, yeah, and I suppose that you'd had a chance to mature in in literally yeah. mature and also rugby uh, mm-hmm. terms. You you'd matured as a player as well. Did did your did you ever speak to your dad again about that and go, look, dad, I've now made it. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? No, I mean, there was never any, 
um, I, I think my dad, my dad was always really supportive of me doing this. He just thought, you know, he's a pretty standard guy. Like, you know, grew up, started working right after college, been working for the family business for, for a long, long time. And I think it was just a bit of a strange decision for me to go overseas from his point of view. But he's, he's always been hugely supportive. And he has sort of realized, I remember, you know, at the World Cup this year, speaking to him, um, and I was telling him, like, you know what, I might, I might, you know, because I, I thought I was going to retire. I was like, no, I might go play in France. I got this opportunity and it sounds really exciting and money's good. And he was like, go play. He was immediately, he was like, go play in France. Like, amazing. go do it. It sounds amazing. You're going to have a great time. Like, why not? Like, why not, you know, give it another couple of years and see what happens? So, you know, I think, you know, he's always been super supportive. Hi, everybody. Sorry to interrupt the podcast. Just a quick word from our two sponsors. Headstrong is very fortunate to have found two amazing sponsors and supporters for season two of Headstrong, the Rugby World Cup special, forming a brilliant partnership between Headstrong, our chosen charity Restart Rugby and themselves. They cover between them all aspects of global insurance and both have strong historical ties to the wider rugby and well-being communities. Ascot Group is a Bermuda domiciled global specialist in insurance and reinsurance. Built on a foundation of underwriting expertise, but with a culture of collaboration, dedication, empowerment and accountability that is the fabric of the company. Their integrity is reinforced by a strong track record and dedication to clients, brokers and partners. For more information on Ascot Group, visit www.ascotgroup.com. BMS are an entrepreneurial, agile, specialist insurance and reinsurance broker that prides itself on their reputation for exceptional client service and position as one of the leading global brokers. For more information on BMS, visit www.bmsgroup.com. Now, back to the podcast. So just rewinding there briefly, you, you said you had to wait four years from that, that USA Juniors kind of cap to mm. your full call-up uh, against the Marys. Yeah. Mm. How did that play on you mentally, that kind of waiting period? Did, what did you learn about yourself and your rugby? Did you have to build up some sort of resilience? Uh, and what was, how did you deal with it as well? Yeah, I mean, it was... I mean, four years in, in a rugby career is a long time. So when I, when I was playing in Italy, I, I was so far removed from the u.s national team that you know i couldn't really just sit around and think about it every day i had to you know focus on you know my life and 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 my rugby in italy and enjoying myself so i I think you know i knew in the back of my head like i remember watching the the 2015 world cup and i was playing in florence um you know I, i was having a great time um and I remember thinking like, you know, like if I ever get that opportunity, I'll be ready. You know, and, then, and it was so far away from where I was at the time. You know, I was playing part-time basically. I had a couple jobs um, on the side and, you know, I was staying fit and staying ready. And I was like, you know what, if I ever get the opportunity, I'll, I'll be ready to go and I'll, I'll make the most of it. So um, I think just, yeah, there definitely was some resilience built up over those years. I mean, you know, I, I had varying levels of success in Italy um, and just like, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, you know, getting that contract with Falcons immediately thrust me back into, into the, 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 the picture for the U S I remember they announced the contract on, on a, a Friday. And I think it was like Saturday, like that week I got in a, I got a Twitter direct message from 
the guy who's uh, like the performance director for the U.S. He's like, hey, Nick, do you want to come play against Italy this week? It was a summer tour before I'd gone to Falcons. Um, and wow. I was like so taken aback. It was literally the announcement Friday, and I, I was actually on my way to Newcastle when I got the message. I think I just landed in London. I opened up my phone, and I'm like, like really? Like that's all it takes? I get this contract, and all of a sudden, you know, I'm back in the team. Um, so I, I, I called him. And I was like, listen, you know, I'd be honored, but I have to say no. Like, I want to, you know, get stuck in here at Falcons and I want to see, you know, I, I want to get my level up before I come in and, and play for the U.S. now. Um, so. Wow. Yeah. So that's all it took. I mean, just I I twist it, just drift, to twist it off there. Yeah. Yeah, man. Like it, it, it took me signing the deal having it being announced and then literally the next day after four years of no comms, a Twitter direct message, come play, come play for us against Italy. And I had to say, no, I had to be like, no, not yet guys. Like I'll come on my own terms. Uh, oh, that's that was quite... a tough, that was, that was a tough decision to make too. Cause I was like, what if that's the only opportunity I get? <laughs> um, but I knew like if, if I, if I were to come back in, I wanted to be the best I could possibly be. And I knew that if I, after a preseason with Falcons and a couple games with Falcons coming in in November, I'd potentially be you know, 10 times better than I was at that time. So definitely the right decision. Yeah, definitely. It was worth, worth waiting for then. Yeah. So let's rewind to July. Sure. You know the group that you're, the USA are going to be in. You've got England, mm-hmm. France, Argentina, and Tonga. So mm-hmm. pretty much one of, the, one of the toughest groups probably mm-hmm. at the World Cup. And you have a, you're playing a, a, a match against Canada. Mm-hmm. Uh, only kind of ten minutes left, I believe. Yeah. And you know you got the Rugby World Cup in two months, and you suffer an injury. Do you want to just tell me what happened? Um, yeah. Well, um, I dislocated my ankle uh, coming down from the lineout. Uh, sort of in the seventy third minute, I think it was. Uh, and yeah, yeah. I mean, I just remember hitting the ground and looking down at my ankle and just seeing the bottom of my boot and my right ankle facing back up towards me. And I was like, that, that, that's not good. Um, so, um, yeah, I mean, they came on the pitch, they pulled my ankle back into place and then carted me off. Um, and at the time I, I was pretty, uh, immediately pretty devastated, you know, a couple of my, you know, my teammates and the, some of the Canadian guys who I've played with were, you know, coming up to me and, and saying, oh, shit, man, I'm sorry. Um, and, yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I was pretty sure, certain at the time that, you know, this would be like a six-month injury. Um, so it, it was, yeah, it was very tough to deal with at first. I think, you know, the next day the team left for Fiji and I was basically alone in, in Denver. Uh, staying at team hotel like by myself, just waiting to get an MRI and to to find out what the story was. So I think the MRI was on like a Tuesday. Mm. Um, so I'm just lying there. My my girlfriend had left. She had um, gone back to the UK and just sitting in the hotel for two days, just stewing ice on my foot, just waiting for um, the verdict. You know, doctors were saying, "Oh, like if you know, if there's nothing broken, then there's potential for you to make it back, etc." Um, and then they're also like the odds of nothing being broken is one in 2000. So not good. Um, so where did this leave you mentally? Those 48 hours on your own, isolated, what were your kind of inner thoughts? Oh, I mean, there were a lot of tears. I think the first day, um, I was lucky. I had my, my, my girlfriend and a couple friends with me at the hospital. 
Um, but I, I, you know, I, I sort of put myself in this place where I was in like a holding pattern, right? Like you can only can, you can't, you can't do anything with the situation, right? You don't have an answer. So if you, if you go too dark in that moment, if you start thinking like, Oh, I'm definitely not going to the world cup. Like this is it. Everything I've worked for is, is like, it's not, it's not going to happen. Like that takes you to a horrible place, you know, mm-hmm. when you really don't know. So I tried to keep myself, I think I watched the whole Band of Brothers series back, front to back one day in this hotel room. <laughs> just like didn't move and was like, this is good. This is keeping me, keeping me alive. So um, just like trying to stay in a place where, you know, you just, you don't know yet. So you try to, you try to stay as positive as possible. Um, were there any, then, any specific techniques that you were, you were using or you just kind of said to yourself, right, uh, let's, not, let's not think the worst yet because I don't know the results yeah. of this? Well, I mean, you talk about like, I mean, there's nothing I could do in that situation that I could control, right? And, I, you know, I've, I've worked with sports psychologists over the, over the years and the big thing they talk about in rugby is controlling the things you can control because there's only certain things that you can control and a lot of things are just out of your hands. And, you know, what, what had happened to my ankle at that point I had no control over what had happened, right? So there was no point in me dwelling on what was going on. Like, I literally had to wait for a diagnosis. Like, I had no information about what was on. I had no doctors with me. I had no med staff with me. I just had a bag of ice, and I was sitting there. I was like, well, you know what? Maybe. You know, my mind was just like, maybe I could do it. And if there's a chance I can do it, I'm going to do it. Uh, so, yeah. Well, I mean, it, it was a hard, hard space to be in. I was definitely the most challenging thing I've dealt with in my rugby career uh, was compartmentalizing that, um, you know, the, over those two days and, and trying not to get too dark. You know, I'm lucky that I had the support of my family and my friends um, to talk to uh, and my teammates as well. Um, so the World yeah. Cup kicked off on the 20th of September. At what date mm-hmm. did you know you were like, I'm going out now. I know that I'm going. So what, <laughs> when was that? Um, well, I, so I got the, the, the MRI that Tuesday and I remember lying there, they were doing the MRI and the, the doctor kept on asking for more and more scans of my ankle. So I was in there for like 45 minutes and I was thinking like, is this a good thing or a bad thing that he's asking for more and more angles? Um, but you know, within half an hour of the MRI being done, the doctor, the radiologist had called the surgeon and was like, listen, you know, you, you don't have any bro- broken bones. You don't have any cartilage damage. All your ligaments are torn, but, you know, there's potential for you to get back in time. Um, you know, targeting eight weeks to the day of that, of him saying that was the England match. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I didn't know if I could make it, but, you know, I, I was lucky that USA Rugby took care of me. They put me up in a hotel, like, 50 yards from, you know, this rehab spot that, that they run in, in Superior, Colorado. And, you know, they allowed me to, to rehab four or five hours a day. Um, and I think after maybe two weeks of that, again, you know, the first, um, you know, maybe after two weeks of that, I sort of had it in my mind, like, yeah, I'm pretty sure that I'll be healthy for the World Cup. Um, and I had spoken to, to Gary, Gary Gold, the, the U.S. coach, and he had told me that, you know, Nick, if you're healthy, we're going to bring you. So, you know, keep us posted. Um, so I, it, it, I think the moment that it was real for me was when I finally got on the plane. Yeah, for you know, sure. It was, it was, it was, it was you know, like, I think I, my, my first 
two days running were like the two days before I got on the plane. Um, and they were like, yep, that's good enough. You're coming with us. So then to hear that was, you know, incredible. Well, it's a, I'm sure a lot of that rehabilitation as well was mental um, as yeah. well as the physical because, you know, if you're saying to yourself, right, I can make this and I'm going to get, get this get up and go attitude and you're in that facility as well working on your body four or five hours a day then, yeah. you, you were doing everything possible both mentally and physically to get back in time yeah. for that England match. Yeah, um, you know, I was, it was, um, looking back on it, I don't know. It feels like it was easy because like I knew exactly where I wanted to go. Like I knew exactly what I had to do. Like there was no distractions. And I was, I was lucky to get into that environment where there was no distractions. I had, there's one other guy, like guy Mikey Teo who had a foot injury who was doing a couple weeks rehab with me. So we was, there's two of us in the hotel room for about two weeks. Um, literally all we did was we'd get up, we'd eat, we'd go to this rehab place. We'd do two hours, we'd eat lunch and we'd go back and do another two hours and, and we'd sit in the pool in the afternoon and ice and rest and um, like you know, there, were, there were no distractions in life. And you know, I was able to focus 100% of my mental resources on, on getting better. Um, and yeah, I mean, it was tough, but, you know, I had such a clear goal. Like, I don't think there's a time in my life where like I've literally had such a clear objective. Like mm. I need to have my foot ready to run on – September 26th you know I need to be good enough to play against England on September 26th and that was the only thing in my mind so it was really I don't know it was an exercise in, in goal setting and and it was uh yeah it was it was so focused that it was it was you know I wasn't thinking about anything else yeah uh, definitely yeah so let's look at the rugby world cup now sure. despite the results um did you enjoy it first of all what was it like out there? You said earlier that it was pretty mentally and physically exhausting in terms of travel and it's quite an overwhelming experience. Yeah, I mean, it was overwhelming. It was, uh, I mean, of course I enjoyed it. It's my first World Cup. It's the thing I, you know, almost any rugby player has been, wants to do with their careers, play, play, for, play in a rugby World Cup. So it was incredible. Um, it was exhausting. I mean, we traveled so much. You know, we did our, our, our week, our, our first week camp in Okinawa, which is, you know, a thousand, thousand miles from the mainland. Uh, and then we were all over Japan, in Fukuoka, we were in Tokyo, we were in Kobe, Osaka. So a lot of travel in between, uh, not a lot of time to train. Um, a lot of people pulling you every different direction when you're in, in each city and friends and family. Um, but yeah, as an experience, it was, it was awesome. And the Japanese people did such a good job hosting it. You felt so welcomed everywhere. Um, and so, like, the whole country was, like, knew who you were and knew what you were there for. And the whole country was behind you. It was really, really something else. That's so, that's so great. In that final match against Tonga, obviously yeah. you knew you, were, you guys were heading home. But did, did you think that you might get a win out of that? I mean, it was genuinely quite close in terms of scoring. Yeah, we, I mean, our, our focus going into the tournament was we wanted, we wanted two wins out of the tournament. Yeah. Um, we wanted to beat Tonga, and we wanted to push France and Argentina really hard. Um, so I think we, we were disappointed with the way we played, um, especially against Tonga. Um, I think, like, you know, it's, we, weren't, we weren't particularly careful with the ball. Um, set piece wasn't as good as, as we wanted it to be. 
Um, and, uh, you know, our, our tackling just wasn't great. So, I, I mean, there's you know, a number of technical reasons why we lost that game, and, and Tonga played really well. But that was a game that we were targeting to win, and I think maybe in the back of our minds we expected to win, um, which isn't, you know, a good way to go into a game. Mm. And, you know, on top of that, you know, we had – we're coming off four days rest from Argentina. So, um, uh, you know, another tough task, and Tonga had a full week to, to prepare for us. Looking at the, the England match that you guys played – did you when you played them and you came off that pitch? Obviously, I, I'm I'm biased, but how did you you feel <laughs> playing them? Did you know um, that they were a pretty strong team and you were like, well, yeah, oh, yeah. I, I can see them making it to the final. How how, how yeah, was it actually? I, I've I've, I've, I've honestly I've never played in a game where I felt so thoroughly dominated by an opposition. Um, obviously, we we had our game plan going into that, um, and we we expected to to be way more competitive in that match, but they were so clinical. Set piece, their scrum absolutely destroyed us. Their driving mall was very good, and on mm. top of that, their execution was just excellent. So, and we didn't really have many answers for them. And um, I remember after that game, you know, it was it was it was you know my first World Cup game. I had a lot of family and friends there, so uh, it was an incredible experience still. But mm. you know, I've i we were we were dominated by England. And I remember thinking after that game, like this is a team that could beat the All Blacks. You know, a team that could potentially win the World Cup. Oh, uh, Mystic Meg was Nick. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, totally. So did you watch the rest of the World Cup then? Did you watch the games or did you yeah. take less interest? No, I, I absolutely watched the games. Um, I mean, it's like, it was such a spectacle and there was so many mm. good games on offer. Like, you couldn't miss it. I had to wake up at some weird times uh, when I was <laughs> back in New York. But uh, yeah, definitely worth it. Um, Japan, well, South I- Africa, incredible game. Like, yeah. The whole tournament was just awesome. So you're, you're, you were happy with the result, obviously not from a USA perspective, but you thought it was mm. a great tournament all around? Yeah, incredible. I think the, the only thing you could look at was the uh, – you know, they had to cancel a couple team games at the end, which I, I couldn't imagine what that would be like you know, for Canada, Italy, um, New Zealand. Um, who else? I think well, one more team, obviously. Namibia. Yeah, Namibia was the other team who got their, their game canceled. Uh, and, uh, the, like, and, imagine, and the England France uh, game as oh, well. Oh, and the England France game. Yeah, I mean, Which would have been a great match. I mean, I, I was reading something where it was a 2015 in Ireland's last pool play game. They lost three key players from injury. Yeah, you know, so like, and then it went into this, the quarterfinals and lost. So, you know, those are really important games, and they they very well could have changed the outcome of the World Cup. I mean, to to to, to play only three games in that period where another team has to play four is. I think it's a massive embedding. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that, that's, that's the one thing you could look at and be like, you know, it's a bit of a shame, but at the same time, you know, there was a massive tsunami and like, you know, public health is obviously way more important. Than exactly. I, I always think that, yes, at the end of the day, rugby is just a game of sports. Obviously, there's a lot of passion behind it and there's a lot of money behind it, but there were lives at stake as well. So mm. it's uh, worth noting. Yeah. But, um, Obviously, congratulations to South Africa. Good job. Uh, yeah. I'm gutted, of course, but great, <laughs> great, great. It was a great tournament. It was meant to be. It was meant to be. It was meant to be, yeah. exactly. I mean, every yeah. stars aligned almost for them. Mm. So what, what does the season hold for you then? What are your aims and goals? And is 2023 in your sight? <laughs> uh, I don't know. That's a long way off. Um, right now, I think what, what, I, what I've enjoyed at least the last month or so is, you know, having, having gone to a World Cup is I feel like I have this big sort of animal off my back now where I'm just able to, 
you know, enjoy life and rugby, you know, separate from any goals I may have with the U.S. team, et cetera. So uh, I'm going to give what I can to, to Van here. I'm going to work my butt off for them. Uh, my, my girlfriend's moving over in about a month to live with me, which is going to be amazing. And we're going to try to enjoy um, a little bit of French life for, for six months and, and see where that goes. You know, hopefully have a good enough season and maybe stick around here or, or ideally head to the top 14, which I, I know would be very tough, but you know, hopefully a possibility. Um, yeah. What's your, so, what's, your, what's your French language like? Um, it's, it's pretty bad. Uh, <laughs> I, I think, I think the fact that I speak Italian helps. Um, True. I'm, I think I'm understanding more than I would if I didn't speak Italian, but I had a, a lesson yesterday and I'm, I'm trying to pick up as much as I can. I think, um, I think that's, that's really important when you're in a place to try to, try to learn the language. I'm lucky my, my missus speaks, uh, speaks French. Uh, oh, well, that's so, lucky. She'll be, she'll be doing the ordering at something. Yeah. She, I think that that might actually hinder my, my, my learning. Cause I'll just probably rely on her to, to do all mm. almost everything. So uh, I, coming down to the end of this, Nick, um, I asked these questions, these two questions to all of my guests. The first one being, you've obviously taken quite a unique approach, uh, in terms of your career to rugby. Sorry, I lost you there for a second. Hey, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear. So you take a you take a you've taken a quite an interesting pathway um, mm-hmm. to success in your rugby career. But what would be your piece of advice to anyone getting into rugby and thinking about progressing into the sport? I don't know, man. I th- it's, it's tough. You really got to take things day by day. You know, I think one of the best things I can say is you know it's probably not going to happen tomorrow. You know, whatever you want to do, it's not going to happen tomorrow. So take from that what you will like you really have to focus on what you can do that day to make yourself better and then try not to worry about where you want to go um, and just enjoy yourself in every moment of it because it is you know rugby is you know a great sport It'll allow you to travel allow you to meet some really great people um, all over the world so as long as you're enjoying yourself and getting better like you know it'll eventually happen for you i think if you keep the right attitude but it's it's easy to get caught up in in, in, in your goals um, and stress out about, you know, day-to-day things, selection, et cetera, bad performance. Um, it's, it's probably harder to just, you know, go with the flow. And finally, Nick, what does the word headstrong mean to you? Oh, I mean, you know, it's resilience, right? It's, it's the ability to, to, to know where you want to go and the ability to get there. Um, so it's, it's controlling what you can control and, 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 and keeping a positive mindset, even when things can get overwhelmingly negative. Um, yeah. Awesome stuff. Well, Nick, thank you so much for taking the time out to speak to me. Enjoy France, enjoy the culture, and most importantly, enjoy the food. Yes, and... no, I, I am. I am. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll, day. Safe travels to your, your, your girlfriend coming over, thank and I hope you guys have a yeah. great season. Cheers. And uh, hopefully we'll see you in the... In the, in the... In the, in the World Cup next uh, <laughs> yeah we'll see uh, thanks Lewis this is, this is a lot of fun well guys that is it for this episode of Headstrong a huge thank you to Nick for taking time out from his busy busy time in France to talk to me on Headstrong thank you as well to you for having a listen to this episode and also any other episodes in this Rugby World Cup series These episodes are always live, so please listen to a number of my other guests that are always live on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. 
I hope you enjoyed. There will be a couple more episodes before Christmas before we break and we look into series three and four and see what happens next year on Headstrong. So keep an eye out on social medias. We're on Instagram and Facebook. My name is Damien Hopley, Group Chief Executive of the Rugby Players Association. Restart is the official charity of the RPA and the charity provides crucial support to current and former professional rugby players suffering from serious injury, illness or hardship. Since 2005, Restart has invested over 1.7 million into player welfare and support by funding medical treatment, rehabilitation or disability support, financial support and emotional support by providing a 24-7 confidential counselling service. And we're the only body in English rugby that invests in mental health support. One in four people in the UK will be affected by mental illness in any year. Rugby players are no exception, and often the pressures and strains that act as a catalyst to mental health issues are magnified for professional athletes. Players often find it difficult to cope with the transition out of rugby, and the reality is that over 60% of players reported mental health issues post-retirement, and over 50% of players take two years or longer to be in control of their lives post-rugby. In 2008, the Rugby Players Association and Restart launched a 24-7 telephone helpline and counselling service to provide vital mental health support to those players and families that were facing struggles. 42 current and former players accessed the confidential counselling last year. More than 140 players have accessed the counselling service over the past three seasons. Every year, Restart spends up to £60,000 on our confidential counselling service to help support our players. Without support from donors and fundraisers, Restart would simply not be able to continue this vital support for our players. Sadly, these mental health issues can lead to devastating consequences. Suicide is the biggest killer of men under 45 in the UK, and rugby players are not immune. It's great to see the players talking more openly about their mental health struggles within rugby and after they finish playing. Thank you for all your support towards Restart. Without people like yourselves, we could not help players and their families in the way that we do. So thank you all very much. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. 
Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.